0: All right, let's go to our text messages, and Braden texts through. Um, He had a bash plate on his Hilux Mm -hmm. that had a head completely flattened off from (laughs) off-roading. So this is how all bash plates on Hiluxes should look. Yes. If you look under your Hilux and the bash plate doesn't have the heads flattened off, you have not spent enough time (laughs) off-road. That simple. All right. Uh, required grinding off, and thankfully once that was done, vice grips were able to easily remove the rest. Yeah. So that was uh, that's Braden's uh, favourite bolt-removing story. If, if, for those of you who are just tuning in, of course, uh, Lawson started off the show with a bolt-removing story. They had a bit <laughs> of a challenge, and they faced the challenge. They went in to win, and they won.
1: It was a bit of a saga. It started yes. yesterday. Stripped bolt. Stripped bolt. Just complete de- dejection, failure, humiliation even, you could say. but Problem solved. You know, followed up by Redemption. One of the most winning.
0: interesting ones I ever had was a um, pressure plate bolt mm-hmm. that broke off in the flywheel while I was doing up the pressure plate. And oh. it broke off flush with the flywheel. Uh huh. And it's a, a bolt that has about a five millimeters across. Okay, how are you going to get that one out? You can't weld it out because you will warp the flywheel. Yeah, that's right. And so I'm just sort of scratching my head how am I going to get this out? It broke it off it broke off flush but at an angle so you couldn't drill it. And put oh, an easy that's out into it. Terrible. And here I am sitting there stressing trying to figure out different ways how am I going to get this bolt out? And uh, Emery was a kid at the time. Yeah. I was probably like 10 or 12 and he walked up and he literally put the end of his finger on it, pushed hard with his finger, twisted his finger and it twisted back out. <laughs> I <was> like, what? <laughs> Did my head in. That's hilarious. Uh, it was. Anyway, uh, let's go to our – oh, no, we've got some other text messages. You've got a whole slew of them. Let's just uh, see where they went to. And let's find the first one so we get them in order. Here we go. Security and privacy. So this goes back to your story that you yes. were sharing about uh, butterfly wings, butterfly mm. technology being used to create uh, – uncrackable security at the moment. Yeah. Security and privacy is really non-existent. There's basically nothing we can do that a security hacker cannot do or cannot obviously hack. How often do we hear the CIA's computers being hacked by China? Imagine what hackers can do to us. Our only security is in Christ. No one can
1: get through the mighty angel that he gave us to protect those who love him. That's so true. That's actually a good point about like security and hacking and stuff like... uh North Korea, right, yes. is an incredibly impoverished p- country. Yes, because they spend a lot of money on two things. Well, firstly, they spend a lot of money on nukes and like their military, yes. and they're like that takes up the majority of their money. But then they're like, "Oh, okay, which other front can we be good in?" And so they spend a lot of money sending North Koreans to China to be trained how to hack. They're like one of the hacking power, like powers of the world, like in terms of state-sponsored hackers that launch cyber attacks against western nations and stuff just vandals because because, it's affordable. Invest, because invest it's affordable because it's affordable they're like oh yeah we'll just get china to train us it's like you, know, you don't have to train soldiers we just have to train hackers yeah literally they're just digital vandals because that's all they can do like what are the, what can they back up hacking people with like they can't just go to war with these people it's interesting it's,
0: it's interesting you know nigeria went the cheap way and just set up um,
1: call centers <laughs> You don't need to hack people when they just give you their passwords to get money from a Nigerian prince.
0: Uh, dear. Anyway, uh, Lancaster County and herd immunity, uh, um, the Amish community, truly country living. We've been preaching uh, this lifestyle for 150 years. Hey, man. Okay, so I've been preaching country living. I haven't been preaching Amish lifestyle uh-huh. because I like tractors with rubber <laughs> tires. <laughs> yeah, I like motorbikes and it's cars. It's interesting. It's interesting. Some um, Amish or Mennonite communities do actually have tractors. So uh-huh. it depends on the level of, of Amish or Mennonite they are, but they're not allowed to have rubber tyres, and so they'll buy brand-new John Deere, take the rubber tyres off and replace it with steel wheels. That actually oh, happens. they're doing that's old it, school. A, that's an industry over there for, uh, for creating steel wheel um, for modern tractors. For, for Amish people? I think they're more Mennonites. Okay. I think Mennonites are a few decades ahead of the Amish. Ah, Okay. Yeah. So like I could have all of this wrong. If
1: if you're an Amish person or a Mennonite person or so, have come from that community and correct me, then please do. So the Mennonites are like sitting in there like $100,000 or $200,000 air-conditioned Bluetooth John Deere tractor, but they put steel wheels on it. Pretty much. That's intense. Yeah, pretty much. Good for them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, they're
0: living their life. That's what they choose to do. So go for it. Go for it. But the thing is, the thing I do really uh, appreciate about these communities is their work ethic, yes, their community ethic, Mm. and the outdoor lifestyle that they have and the country living lifestyle they have. It's absolutely the best, uh, which is exactly what we've been preaching for 150, 160, 170, 180 years um, and should continue to preach. Mm. Uh, as far as I know, the recovery rate, according to World Health Organization, was 98. percent The mean rate of death from COVID is still over 80 years, is still 80 years and over worldwide. Um, I haven't had a chance to fact check that. Um, it does say here, it does clarify, as far as I know. Mm. So you need to fact check for yourself anything that uh, any claims that are made here on the Faith FM Radio via text message.
1: Yes. All
0: right. Uh, Brazil, January 2020. Netflix made a movie about a gay Jesus. So why should we be surprised about a gay Superman, who that's was true. originally created to replace Jesus as the savior to the world with an alien from another world? They are trying to remove the only true savior of this world. That's that's true both times round. Mm. Uh, first time round, that's truth. Second time round, that's a truth. Totally. Um, Isn't shame a gift from God so we can go to him to cover our shame? We have all sinned. We have all done something we are ashamed of. It gives us the opportunity to come to God for help. He will never reject us but cover us with his blood for all who repent or forgive those who sinned against them. Absolutely. Amen. Um,
1: Awesome one there. Can Can I take slight issue with that? Can I can I speak to that? Yeah, I actually,
0: they're, 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 I I can see why you could take slight issue with that.
1: Yeah, just just the
0: first section. Just the first section. Shame is a gift from God. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna run that past David next
1: week, mm-hmm. and
0: ask him that question.
1: Well, because this is his era, 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 area of that, expertise. That is that is her, his area of expertise. But I would just say like shame is the byproduct of sin. Sin is not a gift from God. Like sin is like a yes. terrible thing. But fortunately. God has a solution. That's right. That the, the, is the, the part
0: that I was really appreciating was the last part because oh, that definitely. focuses on the solution. That's right. Being covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's right. Praise God. Amen. Where would any of us be without that? Mm. All right. In regards to the interview we had, self-righteousness is a sin we all carry and it easily blinds us. That one's from Bruce. Totally. So thank you, Bruce, for sending that one through. Okay, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we will begin in verse 1. Deuteronomy 5 and verse
1: 1. Go for it, Lawson. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 1. Man, I had a good listening session this morning on the way here of Deuteronomy. It was like really feeling it, like, you know, just driving my car here, listening to the... You drove the, your car? Yeah, I drove my... Well, so You fixed it, your motorbike yeah, last night. Yeah, I did, but it's raining and... Foul weather, so I'd rather just <laughs> be in my air-conditioned car and be dry. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah, I had a great listening session to Deuteronomy this morning on the way here. Just you're at- still driving on a space saver? No, I fixed my wheel. Okay, yeah, just making sure. <laughs> hey, hey, Lyle, calm down. I was, I was driving on a space saver for like <laughs> a month, like six weeks. But <laughs> As if you would accuse me of being so lazy. <laughs> Anyways, you read him. Not lazy. Cheap. Yeah, that's, that, that's the real reason. I'm like, yeah, fixing my tyre costs money, so I'm not sure. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Actually, I have, I have a story there, but I'm not going to tell it about, about replacing my tire and how I got the deal of the century. But I'm going to... Tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 1. The Bible says, Moses called all the people of Israel together and said, Listen carefully, Israel. Hear the decrees and regulations I am giving you today so you may learn to obey them. Uh, verse 2. And verse 2, it says, The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Mount Sinai.
0: And this is kind of like the other name for the book of Deuteronomy. Mm. The other name for the book of Deuteronomy is the book of the covenant. Wow. Mm. And so, you know, the Old Testament, the New Testament is the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. Uh, The Bible is the covenant. The theme of the Bible is the covenant. Uh, The covenant begins in Genesis chapter 3 when sin first enters the world. You know, the covenant is a theme that goes from one end of the Bible to the other. If you go to Arise, you're going to go through this whole theme on the covenant, Uh, that God makes and Mm. how how he interacts with human beings. And Deuteronomy is called often the book of the covenant. It could have Mm. easily been referred to as the book of the covenant. And so this is what Moses is going to talk a lot about in the book of Deuteronomy. He's going to be talking a lot about the covenant.
1: Let's continue reading verse 3 and 4. In verse 3, it picks up and says, The Lord did not make this covenant with our ancestors, but with all of us who are alive today at the mountain the lord spoke to you face to face from the heart of the fire
0: okay so this is interesting because when you uh read about what you know the covenants that were made with say adam and eve or mm. abraham isaac and jacob and uh, moses is reminding the people he's like look this is this is this covenant was made you, you know we're not just going off a long distant memory here mm. We're not just going off the fact that, well, yeah, you know, a long time ago in the distant past uh, God made this covenant with some people that we've never seen or heard of. He's reminding them. You heard God speak. Mm. Yourself, physically, literally, you saw his presence on top of the mountain in fire. You experienced this. And so uh, this is the covenant that you received at that particular time and in that particular way. And so, you know, he's, he's pointing out to the Israelites, you are incredibly privileged as far as a generation goes. you yeah. were the, like one of the very few privileged generations that actually get the covenant directly from
1: God. Mm. All right, let's continue reading. It continues on in verse 5, and it says, I stood as an intermediary between you and the Lord, for you were afraid of the fire and did not want to approach the mountain. He spoke to me, and I passed the words on to you. This is what he said. Okay, so what position does Moses hold here? He calls himself the intermediary yes, or, or the intercessor. He's the middle man, essentially.
0: And in verse five here, in my translation, it says, "I stood between the Lord and you at that time." Mm. And there's several occasions when Moses definitely performs the role of an intercessor. Definitely, he stands between God and the people, and he uh, intercedes on their behalf. Mm. And this is one of the reasons why the Bible, when the Bible prophesies about Jesus. Mm and the coming of the Messiah, it refers to Jesus in prophecy as someone like Moses, Mm. a prophet like Moses. Yeah, wow. And in what way was Jesus like Moses? Did he look like Moses? Probably not. Did he live as long as Moses? No, because he died at the age of 33. Did he take people out of exile? No. There's a lot of ways in which Jesus was not like Moses. Mm.
1: But Jesus is the ultimate intercessor. That's right. I think Moses, you can consider him an intercessor in the practical sense, in the same way that we can be intercessors. Yes. like we can pray for people absolutely we, we should can, we can be God's representative God's witness to people and we become an intercessor and that's that's literally Moses here he's talking to God on the mountain and then he's talking to the people at the bottom like he is he is like uh, yeah in the very uh, I would say in the uh in the legal sense like very much an intermediary you know or a mediator like going between God and the people but then you have Jesus who is literally the bridge between humanity and God through dying for our yes. sins you know
0: Yes, we can intercede on behalf of people. Mm. Jesus can intercede for their salvation. That's right. Jesus' Jesus' intercession can provide salvation. Mm. Our intercession can provide aid. Yes. But we can't provide somebody else with salvation.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah. And that's Moses here, like to the the entire... To the entire nation of Israel. Like he is showing them the way to God, essentially. Yes. Obviously, yeah, he's not God. Like he's not the savior. He can't
0: can't forgive sins.
1: That's right. But he is doing everything he can like, and, and you read, you know, as he's sharing his experience, um, in the further chapters of Deuteronomy, which I'm sure we'll get into as he's sharing his experience with the people and their rebellion and whatnot. Like, he's like, I tried and I tried and I tried and I interceded <laughs> yeah. and I interceded and God came to me and said, well, I'll destroy all the people. And I interceded again. Like he is trying so hard. Like he's giving everything for these people that he can.
0: Moses doesn't hold back in the book of Deuteronomy from sharing with the people how rebellious they have been.
1: Yeah, totally. He
0: just puts it out there and like, you know, you guys have rebelled over and over and over again. And he repeatedly says this. He reminds them of the fact that they come from a very broken past and he does so to encourage them not to do so again in the future because Mm. he knows they are going to be tempted to do Mm. so. And even ultimately when they do enter into the promised land, they fail to enter in in the way that God intended them to. Yes, and so they go in, they take a bunch of cities, they take a bunch of land, and the Bible says and they occupied this, and they occupied that, and they occupied the rest, but they didn't finish it off, and you know they didn't take they didn't take the coastal areas because the people down there had chariots of iron,, mm. and they were scared they didn't take a lot of the cities that belonged to a lot of the inhabitants because they had already taken enough cities and there was enough places for them to live, and they didn't need to mm. And then what happens is that from that point forward, there is constant warfare between the Philistines and the Israelites. Yeah. And the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Amorites and the Edomites and everybody else that was around them. There's constant warfare for their entire existence. Mm. There is still warfare to this day. Wow. Philistines, the modern word for Philistine is just Palestine. (laughs) Yeah, wow. It's just, it's exactly the same word. And so do, is there conflict between Israelis and Palestinians today? Yes. Uh, maybe.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah dude. <laughs>
0: and this is because initially they were true to God and then they just gave up. They're like, mm. no, nah, we've done enough. We don't need to do anymore. It's hard work fighting. Mm. We're done with it. And they didn't go as far as what they should have done, and, and this is what Moses is trying to immunize them against this is his you know this is his last big sermon that he's going to preach to them mm. and share with them, and he's writing it down so that they can take it with them to stay with them and encourage them and There were leaders who kept encouraging them, but the people were like no. and so often you what you'll find is that during the um during this whole time where they are um where they are you know in 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 the promised land and they are conquering the promised land, so often what you find is that they just allow these idolatrous nations to live amongst them. Mm. and it becomes a snare to them and it leads them into idolatry. and so you've got that up and down history of Israel where they yeah. get into idolatry, out of idolatry, into idolatry,
1: out of idolatry, just all over the place. I feel like you see a group of people here. It's like the ultimate example of why it's so important to be submitted to God. And not to just like include his principles in your life. Like yes, in, you know, following God's principles in your life. Like so many secular people will agree that so many of the things that the Bible advocate for is true and that is good. Like having good health. For example. You know, like not eating certain foods. Like it's like, oh yeah, yeah, fair enough. Like there are so many there are so many secular people that don't drink. Because yes. they're like, oh yeah, like not Absolutely. drinking that don't steal. That like because these moral principles or these these lifestyle principles are a good thing, but the difference is, it's like when you like that doesn't. But just including the lifestyle that God has has permitted to you or has prescribed to you into your life isn't enough. Like just because these people are, are Jewish, like and they practice, you know, they identify as Jewish or Israel Israeli and they practice things like that, like that that isn't enough. Ultimately, they have to be like submitted to God. And follow his specific will for their life. And I feel like the story of Israel is them continually failing to do so and receiving the consequences for it. And it's, and I can understand why. Like how easy is it to fall into the trap of laziness and complacency? Like, oh man, no, life's good. Life's good. Put my feet up. Like, hey, I've, these guys are like, finally we've got land. We're not slaves. We're, we're eating good. We're, you know, land flowing with milk and honey. Yeah. But it's like, dude, who could have they been? Mm. who could have they been absolutely and what they could have they done for God mm. you're listening to the breakfast Joe podcast on faith FM positively different
0: okay so Chris is texting through to challenge whether there is any archaeological evidence for the conquest of Canaan it's a really interesting question, one that has vexed archaeologists for a long time, pretty much since the history of archaeology has been around, because of course archaeology as a science was created, um, as a way of verifying what the Bible says, essentially, mm. um, in modern times, I should say, because of course there has been archaeology that has existed in ancient times. And so part of the, part of the problem really revolves around what chronology you use for the time period of the, uh, conquest and, uh, This is something that has been hotly debated in the past. It is less hotly debated today, but still hotly debated. And the reason it is less hotly debated today is because there is an increasing amount of evidence as to uh, the conquest and there is, you know, a growing body of evidence. And so what we need to remember from archaeology is that when you, when you're studying archaeology, there is very, very, people say very confident things in relationship to archaeologists have proved. You know these kinds of statements. Classic, yeah. Have proved there's no conquest of Canaan. No, they haven't. <laughs> uh, what has happened is that um, within archaeology, if you look at biblical sites in the Middle East, only about one percent of them have been excavated. Mm. Out of the one percent that have been excavated, um, of those sites, typically you only excavate about one percent of the site itself. Yes so you don't you know we 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 think of you know, uh, archaeologists, they find a tell, which is a mound yeah. and they and, and they excavate it, and we sort of think of oh, they excavated the whole thing, no, they just dug a few trenches here and there and drew conclusions from the trenches that they dug, mm. so you've got one percent of one percent, but then you've got only one percent of material that could give us information that actually survives, mm. and so your stone material can survive. Your ceramic material can survive, some metals can survive, and that's very limited. Mm. And so, out of all of the possible material that could tell us about what was actually taking place, very, very little of it actually survives. I mean, think about your house what would survive from your house, you know, in 2000 years from now? Yeah, wow. Uh, my house, which is made out of timber, there would be very little, if anything, that survived. Maybe the uh, concrete stumps that it sits on would be the only things that could actually survive that kind of time period. And so how much would they know about my house from that? Yeah, they'd know the approximate size of the floor pan, but nothing more. And so we need to be very, very careful when we confidently assert things based on archaeology. So there's the first issue. The second issue is the different chronologies that are put forward because the chronology of the Exodus is based on the chronology of Egypt. Mm. And there are six different chronologies for Egypt. So which one are you going to use? Wow. There are six different major published chronologies on Egypt. And the reason that Egyptian chronology is so messed up is because uh you know, the the Greek historian who first gave us the, the list of Egyptian pharaohs just listed them all down one after the other, as in, uh, in supposed chronological order. Mm. What he didn't take into account and what we have no record of is how many of them reigned alongside another ruler, say, for instance, their son who was beginning to rule and when the regnal years started and when the regnal years ended. Um, how many of them were kingdoms of, were, were pharaohs of a portion of Egypt and not the whole of Egypt? Mm. How many of them do you have where you've got, you know, upper Egypt and lower Egypt reigning side by side? And so there is no chronology of, no accurate definitive chronology of ancient Egypt. Wow. And so particularly when we're looking at the, uh, the 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 story of the Exodus, this is where it really does affect the story of the Exodus and the Hebrew slaves in Egypt. If you look at some periods in Egyptian history and people say, well, this was the period right here in which the Hebrew slaves were in Egypt, it just doesn't fit. And the archaeologists say, well, there's no evidence for it. But if you look at other chronologies, it's like total evidence for it. It's saturated with evidence. So it kind of depends on which chronology you choose. Mm. And so you know, there's it's a, it's an interesting discussion to have. The uh, the archaeology of the Exodus, and the archaeology of the conquest. Oh wow! But with the minuscule amount of evidence that we have, we've still be a, we've still been able to discover over a hundred names that exist in the Bible, um, and confirm them from archaeology in inscriptions and with the minuscule amount of evidence that we have, we have a growing body of evidence for the conquest and the eventual establishment of the Israelite Empire under David and Solomon. Wow. All right, so I would recommend um, Archaeological archaeological Diggings as a great magazine to subscribe to, to all people who are interested in that, and particularly if you go back and get the uh, some of the earlier editions of that um, when David Down was editing it, Outstanding material. He was uh, a, a big proponent proponent of um, having discussions over chronology.
1: Wow. Yes. Man, I feel like I've just been I've just been sold at all here.
0: I uh, got sidetracked that by that, this would, have, great that text would have been messages. a
1: good question of the day. But... It would have been. <laughs> I should have kept it for que- why didn't I keep that for questions? I'm like listening to you speak, and I'm like, wow, this is a fantastic question of the day.
0: All right, so another text that came through. Are we that much different from the Jews of old? Are we not disobedient and stiff-necked as they? May God help us to be faithful in these last days. So you know, look look at the Israelites who go into the promised land and, yeah, they go out and they fight and they take some of it and then they sit down and relax. Mm. How often do we do the same thing? We go out, we fight, we run an evangelistic program, it's hard work, We, we stick it out for a month, we're out preaching every night and at the end of it, what do we all want to do?
1: relax, have a
0: holiday, take a break, take a breather, relax, just when we need to finish the work Mm. and seal those decisions for Jesus when those new people have just given their lives to Jesus are the most tender and young and brand new shoots that need to be strengthened and encouraged in their Christian faith, and those who can do that are all out there taking a break because, like, well, we've been working hard up until this. We, we, we've been
1: fighting the battles of the Lord. We need to have a break right now. Dude, totally. Like, during the break, my mind went to the parable that you'll find in Luke chapter 12 of the of the rich fool, and it's like he, he works hard. He has an abundant harvest, so he builds barns to hold his harvests, yes. and then he has a more abundant harvest, so he tears down his barns and builds bigger barns, and then he's like whoa, my life's really good. I'm super rich. I'm just going to sit down and put my feet up and I'm just going to drink wine and chill out. And God says to him, you fool, what are you doing? Like, don't you know that you could die right now? And what is all of this worth? Like I I was just, yeah, considering the people of Israel and, and considering my own life as well. Like, yeah, am I putting my feet up, relying on the blessings of God rather than using them? Like, it's, it's a really, really important thought. And I think it's something that, that going forward, particularly because we're coming up on our own cane and it's called, you know, the second coming. Like, That's right. It's like, hey, it's time to work. It's time to go all in. It's time to be fully submitted. You're listening to The Breakfast Joe Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Question of the day. All right, Lyle, so we've got a question come in from Chris, and it's essentially this. Um, when So when the Israelites are standing there before Moses in Deuteronomy 5, we understand that they were made to be in the wilderness for 40 years, um, and that the purpose of that is that a lot of them that didn't go in 40 years previously were going to die off. How many then people at this point would have seen the plagues and also like be ready to go into the into the um, into the promised land I don't know that's a simple answer I don't know uh, well this is garage <laughs> okay
0: the Bible doesn't say okay um, so what the Bible does say is say for instance if we go to numbers chapter 26 and verse where are we 65 for the Lord said of them they shall surely die in the wilderness and there was none left, there was not left a man of them except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Mm. And so, yes, the Bible says that Caleb and Joshua were the only two who um, went into the promised land. The question, as far as I can tell, revolves around how many people you know saw the miracles in Egypt, were present there when the book of Deuteronomy was presented to the people. Mm. And the answer is, I don't know. Uh Moses was clearly still there and he came out of Egypt but he didn't go into the promised land. That's right. And so I would imagine that there would be quite a number of others much like Moses mm. that um were in that situation of uh you know older age and near death um I, I, one would think there would be a, a, a considerable number of that of those people but we don't know. That's mm. the answer. Um But all we know is that Caleb and Joshua did go in. Yes. And so, you know, there's some lessons that we can learn from that and there's some some courage that I can take from that because, Mm -hmm. you know, when I look at the work that we have to do, it is not that dissimilar. We are to present the message of the soon return of Jesus and we are to encourage people to enter into the new promised land when Jesus returns. And the Bible says, When this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached as a witness unto all nations, then shall the end come. And when I look at the biblical model for that, uh, it's very, very clear that that work will be finished by young people. So if mm. you look, for instance, at the uh, the foundation of the Christian church, You know, Jesus at the age of 33 is probably the oldest of them. And the other disciples, you know, John was probably, what, about 17, 18 years old, something like that. And so you have a group of very young disciples that are the followers of Jesus and found the Christian church. It was a a movement started by young people. If you look at other similar uh, movements in history, say, for instance, the Great Reformation of the 16th century, And we often see, you know, pictures of Martin Luther with his bald head and so forth, thinking that, you know, he was an old guy and that's because, you know, he didn't become famous until he was old and people started to make pictures of him when he was old. But that movement was founded by young people. It was driven by young people. People didn't even live to incredibly old ages. But, you know, all of those great reformers that that took the world by storm in the 16th century, they were young people. You know, Wycliffe when he started, John and uh, John Huss and Jerome—they were young when they started, mm. and so—and of course Raphael's text and through to remind us, you know, there were those who were under the age of twenty years old, um, which is a different group of people. But you know, we're specifically talking about you know those who were who were were contemporaries of Caleb and Joshua. The important point here that I see is that the work is going to be finished by young people, and for somebody like myself who was an older person, you know, I'm forty-nine years old. That can be a little bit discouraging. Mm. I mean, it's not very very old, but I'm 49. <laughs> um, that can be discouraging until I remember that there was Caleb and Joshua who went in, mm. and so Caleb and Joshua are there. They give they give all of us old guys. They give us a great lot of courage and hope to keep going and keep moving forward. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at one eight hundred Faith FM.